We'll be reading this morning Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God, as we approach your word, we thank you for the power of the cross. As we sung this morning, Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has provided salvation to all who believe. We rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ this morning. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel, the hope of eternal life and forgiveness through his blood. And God, as those who have received your love and your grace, we desire this morning to know you. We want to understand your will for our lives, and we desire to please you, to offer worship that is more than just the songs we sing on Sunday, but a life that honors you. So we pray that your spirit would open our eyes to behold the truth of your word and that you would change us this morning, make us who you want us to be, through your spirit and by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you this morning, what do you pray for? I hope that all of you at some point or another in your day, in your week, spend time in prayer. But what do you pray for? Do you pray for safe travel? It's not a bad thing to pray for. Uh, do you pray for health? There's a lot of physical needs uh, in a church like this. And if you expand that out to the people we know, the people we love and care about, there's a lot of health difficulties. Do you pray about maybe specific challenges that you may be facing? You know, you can learn a lot about someone by listening to them pray. And this is why. What you pray for indicates what you feel is most important. What you pray for is really, it really shows what you think you need the most. What you realize is actually outside of your reach to attain for yourself. What you pray for shows what's most important to you. It's a value statement. And it's pretty amazing. We actually have many prayers recorded for us in the scriptures. And these prayers are recorded for us to encourage us, to instruct us. We get to listen to Moses pray. As we read the Psalms, we get to listen to David pray. When we get to the New Testament, we get to listen to Jesus himself pray. And as we read the epistles, we get to hear the Apostle Paul pray. That's what we find here in Colossians chapter 1, is Paul's prayer for these people, these believers in Christ at the city of Colossae. And from this prayer, we learn. And we learn what it is that we most need. We learn what it is that ought to be our priority, what it is that is most needed and necessary for us as those who believe the gospel. We saw last week in verses 3 through 8 that the Apostle Paul was thankful for their faith in Christ. He says, I'm thankful because I heard that you received the gospel, you believed in it, and it's changing you. He's thankful for the impact the gospel has had upon them. But as we continue reading, we see that, that Paul's not done. He is eager to see them not just have faith in Christ, but Paul is eager to see them continue on in faithfulness to Christ. You see, their reception of the gospel was the beginning of a new life. 
A new life that would require not just God's grace to get going. It was a life that would require God's ongoing grace to be operative in their lives. The hope laid up for them in heaven that we talked about last week was intended not just to secure their future, but also to transform how they live in the present. Faith in Christ must be fleshed out in faithfulness to Christ. And if this was to be the case, Paul knew that they needed God to continue his work in them by his grace. So just like God was the one that Paul was thankful to, as we saw last week, he told God, thank you for what you're doing in them. So also Paul continues to ask God to continue his work of grace in them. Because only then would they be able to grow. Only then would they be able to endure in faithfulness to Christ. And there's a lot that we have in common with these believers in Colossae. As we examine Paul's prayer for the church this morning, we're going to discover that faithfulness to Christ, something God desires for you and for me, faithfulness to Christ requires that we understand four important truths. We're just going to look at these as we kind of walk through our text this morning in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. The first truth that emerges is this. What we need to understand, if we are going to be faithful to Christ, is this. We need to understand, first of all, the believer's daily priority. We need to understand our daily priority. We find this in verse 9 as we listen in on Paul's prayer. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Our daily priority, something that Paul prayed regularly for these people, is that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You see, Paul has already told them that he prays for them, verses 3 through 8, that he's thankful for them. But now he starts telling them, here's what I pray for you. When I pray for you, I'm always thanking God, but here's what I'm asking God for when I pray for you. He has a specific burden. He has specific requests that really point us to what their ongoing need was. Paul's praying for something that was important, something that they needed, and it's something that we need as well. He states that he's regularly asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. The verb here, to be filled, is a passive idea. This isn't something that they're supposed to do for themselves. This is something that they experience. This is something that happens to them, something that they receive. And Paul's asking God to do it, saying, God, what they lack, give to them. What they need, provide for them. This is something that only comes from God, what is it that they need to be filled with? What is it that they lack? Paul says it's knowledge. It's knowledge. They need to know something. You know, too often knowledge gets a bad rap in the church, in Christian circles. We rightly point out that just knowing facts in our, in our brains, knowing the information, that does not equal salvation. I mean, the devil knows a lot more theology than you and I do. So just knowing the information is not enough, and it's good to point that out. Just knowing the information does not equal wisdom. You can be a really smart fool. That's not necessarily a contradiction. Just knowing a lot of information does not guarantee spiritual maturity. So it's right for us to point that out, but we need to be careful not to lose sight of the fact that salvation and maturity and wisdom and growth, none of these things are possible apart from knowledge. We do need to know something. 
John Calvin years ago wrote this, that faith rests not on ignorance, but on knowledge. And this is indeed knowledge not only of God, but of the divine will. You see, that's the content of this knowledge that we're supposed to have. Paul says that, that you'd be filled with the knowledge, not of calculus, not of Kansas history, although that's interesting and important if you teach social studies in Eudora, uh, not knowledge of you know, the pharmaceutical industry, if you're a, a drug rep. Not knowledge of you know, how to be a good mom, or you know, maybe change diapers and be a good cook and all that stuff. Or not, not knowledge of any of these things. He says we need knowledge of the will of God. The knowledge of God's will. We need to park here for just a moment because we need to understand what is God's will. What does that mean? Can we know the will of God? There's really kind of two biblical categories that I think are helpful when we talk about God's will. Because you hear people talk about, I just want to know the will of God, or I want to do God's will, or I'm seeking God's will. Sometimes that means different things to different people. And even in the scriptures, that can be used in two different ways. And so I think it's helpful just to clarify, there's, there's two aspects to the will of God. And this isn't necessarily you know, in our text, but I think it's helpful so that we can know how Paul's using this term. But... The first aspect of God's will is what theologians refer to as God's secret will. Or you could describe it this way, his will of decree. What the sovereign God of all the universe says will happen. So this would be things like who's going to win the next election. That's not outside of God's will. He knows and he's in control of that. That is going to happen according to his will. Whether or not you will get married someday. Whether or not you'll have children. How many? What gender will they be? Uh, who's going to win the Chiefs game later today? What the weather is going to be in July. Those things belong to the secret will of God. He knows all of those things. He's in control of all of those things. He has planned all of those things out. But those things are secret. Um, on the flip side, you have what, what we call, not God's secret will, but God's revealed will. There is some parts of God's will that he reveals to us. We often describe this as not his will of decree, what he says will happen, but his will of desire. What God, what pleases him. The things that coincide with his character. This would be things like obedience to his commands. So husbands, loving your wife, that is God's will. Forgiving others, that is God's will. Serving the needy, that is God's will. So you have these two different aspects of the will of God. It's important that we understand the difference so we know what it is that we're supposed to be filled with. Are we supposed to be filled with the mysterious secrets of God's will of decree, the things that will happen in the future? Or is it God's moral will, his will of desire, the things he's revealed to us? Well, never in Scripture are we promised that God will give us access to his secret will. You can read the whole Bible, from the concordance to the maps, and you won't find it. I've looked, and many of you have as well. Never are we promised that God gives us access to his secret will. Sometimes he does, through prophecy and scripture, tell us what's going to happen. But we don't have exhaustive knowledge of God's secret will. In fact, the opposite is often stated. God frequently reminds us that we don't get to know all those things. In Isaiah 55, 9 it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's just in a different lane than you and I. He knows, he controls it all, and he doesn't necessarily have to tell us what's going to happen in the future. 
In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's some things that only God knows. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. If you look back at the context, Deuteronomy, that's, that, that's where the law is being given to the children of Israel. So the will of God, according to Deuteronomy 29, is all the things he's told us to do. Those commands, those instructions, that is the will of God for us. So the secret things, the future, God's will of decree, that's God's to know and God's alone. But God's moral will, his will of desire, what pleases him, those things have been explicitly revealed to us, and we are accountable to it. Listen to 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God. That's pretty important. God's about to tell us. He's about to tell you, high school student. He's about to tell you, person who's looking for a job. He's about to tell you, whatever your question may be about the future, he's about to tell you what his will is. And here it is. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God's will is for you to do good. It's not very mysterious. It's revealed. What about 1 Thessalonians 4.3? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God wants you and me to be holy. That is His revealed will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the, the way that God's will is often used in Scripture. The things that He expects us to do. And He's revealed those things to us. It's clear in His Word. And this is what Paul is referring to when he refers to the will of God. He's not saying, I'm praying that you would know the future. That you would know what job you should take next year. That you would know what college to apply to. That you would know what to name your second-born daughter someday. That's not what he's praying for. He's praying that these people would be filled with an understanding of how God wants them to live. That they would know what pleases God. That they would be overwhelmed with an awareness of how God desires them to live in this world. That it would permeate every corner of their heart and affect every aspect of their lives. This was his daily prayer for them. Because it's something that we all need on a daily basis. We need that constant awareness of what it is that God wants us to do. The things that he's instructed. And this is our priority. This is our priority to seek this filling. Filling with the will of God that comes from God. So we start asking the question, okay, so how do we be filled with the knowledge of God's will? How can you and I know what kinds of things we should do? How, sh how can you and I know what pleases God? How do we discover his moral will, his will of desire? Well, Paul says it's a matter of spiritual wisdom and understanding. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We discern the will of God in the word of God. Spiritual wisdom. The Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved these scriptures so that we can know what it is God's will for us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand them as we read. He opens our eyes. He illuminates the truth so that we can be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I love Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. As your mind is renewed, as you read the Word, God gives you the ability to understand and know this is what pleases my Savior, and this is not. Filled with the knowledge of His will. This pursuit of knowledge is not according to the wisdom of the world. It comes from God through His Spirit as we receive His Word. The psalmist writes in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law, that's the scriptures, is within my heart. Doing the will of God is synonymous with knowing and obeying the word of God. And that's what Paul's praying for these people. This knowledge, Paul says, is a matter of wisdom and understanding. You see, knowing God's will requires wisdom because there's not actually a Bible verse that tells you the name of the person that you are to marry. So if you're seeking the will of God, you're going to have to have wisdom to apply the things that God has revealed. That believers should be married to other believers. That marriage is for one man and one woman and for life. We, we read all these principles and then we make decisions in wisdom that apply those things that God has revealed. We apply them to the life situations in front of us. Because God doesn't give us Bible verses about many of the issues that we face. His secret will is not always spelled out for us. But he has given us principles in scripture that apply. So Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom. So that you are skilled at applying what you have learned from the scriptures. This un- wisdom is spiritual wisdom. Understanding here is also described as spiritual. We are to understand and receive God's truth and what it reveals about God's will. And you need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. It's amazing. If you read Romans chapter 1, it says that those who are lost, those who are unbelievers, it says that they suppress the knowledge of the truth. And claiming to be wise, they're actually fools. That's the opposite of spiritual understanding. We are not to be those who suppress the knowledge of the truth. We're to be those who understand it and receive it. That's Paul's prayer for these believers. Our daily priority is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But why? Why does Paul want this so badly for them? Why is it so important for you and me to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Well, there's a purpose. Paul has a goal in mind. This is the second truth we need to understand. Not only do we need to understand our daily priority, we need to secondly understand our daily purpose. The believer's daily purpose we find in verse 10. Paul prays for them, they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? Here's the answer, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, this knowledge that Paul prays believers would have, this knowledge has a goal. Paul prays they would be filled with knowledge because he knew that this knowledge leads to transformation. You see, doctrine and theology matter. They matter for salvation. They matter to protect us from error. But knowledge, doctrine, truth, theology is also, Paul understands, necessary. It's essential for right living. You see, right thinking, right believing is necessary for right living. The two go hand in hand. He's praying that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk refers to just how you live. That's your walk. The things you do on a daily basis. Moving forward one step at a time through life. 
And Paul knows that how we live must honor the Lord. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's not that we can somehow earn God's love, or that we can somehow be deserving of His grace, but as those who have believed the gospel, as those who know that we are sinners, as those who know that we deserve condemnation, but as those who have received mercy through Christ's death on the cross, because we believe, as we receive that mercy, it comes with ethical implications, obligations. How can we receive God's love and mercy and grace and His salvation and then go through life with our middle finger in the air to God, doing whatever we want to do? Thanks for getting me out of hell. I can take it from here and do it my way. No. Paul knows that an apprehension of the truth, the reception of the gospel, must lead to a certain, lead to a certain kind of life. A life that is worthy of the Lord. This is a frequent emphasis in Scripture. Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, he's writing to another church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Philippians 1, 27, Paul writes to yet another church in another city, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul writes to yet another church. You see this theme here? Paul's always hammering on this. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think this is a point of emphasis for Paul. A life that is out of step with the gospel, a life that dishonors God, that does not understand or do his moral will, such a life is not God's intended purpose for them. The point of knowing God's will is so that they can do God's will. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the Lord, worthy of their calling. Paul knows that knowledge of God's will comes with ethical implications. That spiritual wisdom has to be lived out. And it has to be lived out in such a way that pleases God. Paul gives us a few descriptions of a life lived in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's right here in the text. We can walk through it. What does it mean to live life worthy of the Lord? Where he describes it, first of all, as being fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing to Him. You see, to know God's will for your life if you're a believer, that has to be accompanied by a willingness and a desire to do all that God shows you. To obey everything that you've come across in the Scriptures. Not just partially, but fully. Fully pleasing to God. Not just Sunday mornings that are pleasing to God, but Tuesday nights that are pleasing to God. Not just Bible study that's pleasing to God, but a work ethic at your job that's pleasing to God. Not just treating brothers and sisters in the church in a way that's pleasing to God, but treating your unsaved neighbors or that antagonistic family member in a way that's pleasing to God. Fully pleasing to God. Not just sometimes, but always. This is what pleases God. The faithful believer is not one who draws lines and says, Okay, Jesus, I'll trust you to save me, but you can't have this part of my life over here. No, Paul wants their lives, all of it, to be fully pleasing to him. That's the kind of life that is worthy of the Lord. The second description, he says, not just fully pleasing to him, but bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. A life that is worthy of the Lord is a life that bears good fruit, a life marked by good works. And and I want to just draw your attention once again to how closely this is tied to knowledge. 
Too often people pit knowledge against love. Or they pit, you know, well you can have purity of doctrine over here, or you can have zeal for good works over here. But they're kind of two different approaches to the Christian life, and you kind of have to pick one or the other as an emphasis because you can't have both. How many of you guys have heard that sort of thinking expressed before? Well, Paul doesn't think that way. Paul doesn't pray that way. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't write Scripture that way. For Paul, being filled with the knowledge of his will goes hand in hand with a life that bears good fruit, that's committed to good works. Paul understands that a growing knowledge of God's will will lead to this kind of life. He understands the powerful reality we see described in Psalm 1. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This sounds like a person filled with the knowledge of his will. And notice what it says about such a person. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, the one who fully absorbs the word of God will be fruitful in doing the works of God. These things go hand in hand. So you don't pick knowledge over here or good works over here. No, Paul pairs them together. He says this is the kind of life that pleases God. But then there's a third description. He describes a life lived worthy of the Lord as one that is marked by a steady increase in the knowledge of God. He's already mentioned the knowledge of God's will in verse 9. But now he describes in verse 10 that walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, knowing God, knowing his will, this isn't just one class that you take and then you got it all down. We never reach the end of this journey of knowing God and knowing his will. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's an exponential growth formula. The more you know God, the more you grow. And the more you grow, the more you seek to know God. This, it, it feeds into itself that way. With spiritual growth comes an increasing desire to know God and an increasing capacity to know God. Paul knows that a growing Christian is growing because they're knowing God. And as they grow, they're going to know God more. And it just feeds into itself over and over and over again. And this is what Paul prays for these people. He says, this is what a life looks like that is worthy of the Lord. And really this brings us to the real center of the Christian life, doesn't it? It's knowing God himself. That is at the heart of the Christian's faith and life and love. To know God, not just to know about him, but to know him in a personal way. In an experiential way. Jeremiah 9.23 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Scripture shows us that knowing God is the thing that is of ultimate value in this world. And a person who's growing spiritually, their life is going to be marked by an increasing knowledge of God himself. 
a growing relationship with their God. And like Jeremiah says, as God describes himself, he says, this is who I am, this is what I'm like. And then God says, in these things I delight. If you know me, you'll know what pleases me. If you know God, you'll know what his will is. To know the will of God is to know God. And to know God is to know his will. At the end of the day, you cannot pursue knowledge of God's will without seeking God himself. To seek God's will is to seek God. Because his will is always an expression of his character. It's an expression of his moral perfections. And for the believer, knowing God is not simply a duty. It's our great privilege. It is our privilege to say that we can know God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, our relationship with God, knowing God is a privilege that has been bought with the blood of God's own son. Knowing God will bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction. And it is to be at the center of our hearts and our lives and our faith. This is what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. This is the kind of life that follows when a person is filled with the knowledge of God's will. So our daily priority, we saw first of all, is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Because our daily purpose is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we can't live as we ought. We can't live this kind of life apart from knowing God's will. And as we know his will, it orients our life towards pleasing God. But there's a third truth we need to understand if we're going to be faithful to Christ. We need to understand, third, the daily provision for the believer. We need to understand the believer's daily provision. What is this provision that we need? We find it in verse 11. Paul's asked already that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, But then he prays in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. In order for you and me to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, in order for you and me to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we need help. And those of you who love Christ and who seek to follow him, you know this. You know that it takes more energy, more strength, more power than you possess in and of yourself. And that's why we bow the knee to Christ in the first place, because we recognize our complete inability to please God, to be made right with God, apart from God's own grace. He does it in us. He provides what we lack. We need divine strength. This spiritual task of living this kind of life that pleases our Savior It requires spiritual power, power that comes from God. I love how Paul doesn't encourage them to dig deep and discover the power within. You'll hear a lot of people talk that way. No, Paul knows that they need a power that lies outside themselves, a power that only God can provide. And so he prays that God would provide it for them, that they would experience his divine empowerment, the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling within. You see, the call to live a life of change and growth, a life that increasingly pleases God, it sounds pretty difficult for all of us. We know that it is. But the good news is that the supply of power that you and I can draw from is limitless. Look at how he describes this power. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. According to his glorious might. Let that sink in for just a minute. The very power of an omnipotent God is available to us. When you think about 
that sinful pattern that you can't seem to break. When you think about that promise from God's Word that just seems too hard to believe. When you think about the things God is calling you to do. The commands you must obey. And when they seem just too far out of reach, consider His glorious might. This is the God who spoke the world into existence. Let there be light. Sun, moon, stars, plants, oceans, mountains, trees, life, galaxies, solar systems, <coughs> molecules, the iris of the human eye. God speaks them into existence. This is the God of worldwide floods. This is the God who sends plagues upon the kingdom of Egypt. This is the God who parts the Red Sea and brings two million people through on dry land. This is the God who flattened the walls of Jericho. This is the God who held the sun still in the sky until Joshua was finished with the battle. This is the God who entered history as a man and walked on water, who healed the sick, who drove out the demons, who set people free, who fed thousands and rebuked the storm, saying, Peace, be still. I made you and it's time for you to be quiet. This is the God who died and then rose again. His glorious might. And Paul prays that we would be experiencing His divine power as we seek to live a life that is pleasing to Him. His divine power is given to us. You know, there are so many people in the world today who are hungry to see a display of God's power. But sadly, I think they too often are looking in the wrong places. They say, well, I don't think God's really that powerful because I look around at the world and I still see a lot of brokenness. I still see corrupt governments. I still see crime. I see oppression. I see suffering. I see death. I want to see power that can stop all of this. And God will, in his timing, one day, make all those things right. But God's power, he's not waiting to display his power to the end. His power is at work in the world now. What does God's power look like? Well, here's what it looks like in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For what? For all endurance and patience with joy. To endure the trials that are in your life. To be patient when suffering. To be patient when waiting for God to fulfill his promises. To have joy even in the midst of sorrow and grief and loss. Paul knows that this takes divine, supernatural power. And he's confident that God will enable them to do exactly these things. You see, living a life like that, patience and endurance and joy, as we groan, as we wait, as we strive, to be able to accomplish that, that is supernatural. That is only powerful when his glorious might strengthens us. And the watching world will look at you and they will see the way that you suffer. They will see the way that you endure. They will see your joy. And they won't be able to explain it in any other way than saying, God must be at work in that person's heart. Because this is not explainable simply in terms of human power. As we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, God graciously gives us the spiritual strength to live out his will. To bear fruit, to endure patiently and joyfully. I just want to encourage you this morning, if some of you are on the verge of quitting, you feel like it's just 
too hard. That you can't go on any longer. If some of you are lacking joy, you feel overwhelmed with sorrow or emptiness, what you need this morning is not for God to change all of your circumstances. What you need this morning is a deeper experience of God's empowering grace. His grace is enough. His strength is sufficient in our weakness. You need something that only God can supply. He calls you to walk in a manner worthy of Him, but He gives you what is needed in order to obey Him. As one of the early church leaders said, God always provides what He requires. He's a gracious God. Paul prays for this. He knew that they needed divine enablement, and he knew that God could give it to them. So this is his prayer for them. Our daily priority is to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Our daily purpose is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But our daily provision to do those things is the strength that God graciously supplies. There's one more aspect of a life lived worthy of the Lord. We see this in verse 12. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Next week we're actually going to park on verses 12 through 14 because there's so much explosive and exciting truth there. It needs its own, it needs its own week to talk about. But I do want to touch on this because it does fit together with this whole section of what Paul's praying for. I want us to see that. Simply put, although the believer has an obligation and a purpose, we all do, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ultimately, our salvation rests on God's work alone. We receive grace as a gift. It's not a reward for our efforts. And that's why Paul says, as we're doing these things, verse 12, we're giving thanks to the Father because He has qualified us. He has made us fit to receive all of His blessings. We know that we don't earn them. They are freely given. And since this is true, how can we not be thankful? When you consider that all God has granted us, I'll just read the text without comment. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <coughs> We must be thankful to the one who has done all of this for us, to our Heavenly Father. A life that is not marked by gratitude for such incredible mercy, such a life cannot be pleasing to the Lord. That's not what walking in a manner worthy of the Lord looks like. Um, forgetfulness, a complaining spirit, a failure to be grateful. No, a life worthy of the Lord is one that recognizes, listen, everything that we really need God has provided for us through Christ. And we are to be marked by gratitude. Paul will emphasize thankfulness throughout this book. In chapter 3, verse 15 of Colossians, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. It is, as we mentioned earlier, God's will. We are commanded to give thanks, to be thankful. He has made the gospel come alive in us. He reveals His will to us. He puts His strength in us. And a life lived worthy of the Lord will be marked by gratitude for all of it. 
Gratitude to our gracious Father. A gratitude that is constant. A gratitude that is expressed. A gratitude that brings with it perspective and joy. And joy. So let me ask you this morning, in light of what Paul prays for those believers, which God has preserved for us so that we can see what's important for us as well, let me ask you, do you desire to know and do God's will? Do you personally desire to know and to do God's will? That's a question that you have to answer for yourself. Not to me, but before the Lord. To be honest, as you look at your heart, do you desire to know and do God's will? Let me just share with you, if there is zero desire to know and do the will of God, if there's no inclination towards faithfulness, then it is necessary for you to examine whether real faith actually occupies your heart or not. You see, doing the will of God is evidence of saving faith. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. There's a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, faithfulness to Christ is evidence of genuine faith in Christ. It may be that some of you this morning need to repent of elevating your will over God's will. It may be that God is calling you today to surrender your will to His. To humble yourself before Him. To trust in Christ to save you. And allow Him to become not just your Savior, but also your Master, your King. The one to whose, whose will you are fully submitted. Perhaps some of you are not necessarily resistant to God's will, but maybe you're a little bit apathetic. It's just not on your radar. You don't wake up each morning and consider, how does God want me to live today? It's just out of sight, out of mind. Well, let me also share with you that this too is a failure to obey. And it's a sin, a sin that must be confessed. Let me ask you, if that's you, if you're maybe apathetic towards the will of God. Maybe there needs to be a change. Are you the kind of person who pursues the knowledge of God's will in prayer? I mean, Paul prayed for this. Do you pray for this? God, help me to understand your will for my life. As I read your word, show me how you want me to live. Does it mark your prayers? Do you get into the scriptures? Do you read the Bible? Are you listening to God? Because how foolish and futile would it be for us to say, Oh God, show me your will. And God's given it to us right here. But we leave it closed. On the shelf. And we don't listen for the answer to those prayers. I know there's a point in my life where I was seeking wisdom, seeking God's will. And I was just struck by the fact where it was almost like God was saying, Hey listen, I already told you a bunch of stuff. Why don't you go look at it? And stop just begging me to show you what to do so that you don't have to exercise wisdom, so that you don't have to step in faith. I wanted God's secret will. Just show me what I should do next. And God said, no, I'm going to give you my revealed will and then ask you to exercise wisdom and step out in faith. That's how it works. Do you get into scripture and actually listen for the answer to that prayer? God, show me your will. He will answer it as you open this book, as you prayerfully and carefully and faithfully read it. 
You'll be like that person in Psalm 1, the tree planted by the rivers of water. When you delight in the law of the Lord, when you meditate on it day and night, it will change your life. I was, I was talking to a young man just a few weeks ago. He said, what's the best counsel and advice you can give me? I just want to grow. I want to be a godly man. And it sounds basic, but it's like, hey, let's read the Bible. Read the Bible. It'll never happen apart from that. This is how God speaks to us. If you want to know his will, seek him in the scriptures. So we pray for God to reveal his will. We listen as we open the word. But what about your involvement in the church? You see, God often helps us to understand his will, to grow in wisdom as we listen to the teaching of the word. Right now, God is communicating his will to some of you. Maybe things you haven't thought about before. Maybe certain things that are missing from your life. If you're not here, if you're not involved, if you're not with other believers, you're at a disadvantage. You're not putting yourself in the place where God is speaking, where God is working. And you won't have the encouragement and the help of other believers. It was awesome at our small group on Thursday night. We were talking about the book of Philippians. And as several different people were commenting and offering insights, I was thinking, I've never asked that question about this text. And I never would have if I wasn't talking about it with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We grow together in the church as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. If you neglect the gathered body, the church, if you neglect the corporate worship on Sundays, if you neglect the relationships within the church, you are at a disadvantage as far as knowing and doing God's will. If you're a person who's maybe been apathetic in the past about seeking God's will and living a life that is worthy of the Lord, make this a matter of prayer. Make this a matter of your searching the scriptures and, and throw yourself into life in the church, the body. This is where God will be at work. For some of you who maybe do this personally, I want to bring out one last application. For those of you who say, yes, I pray for this. Yes, I'm searching for this in the scriptures. And I love being here with God's people. I love singing the gospel and hearing the preaching of the word. Let me just ask for a moment. As you look at Paul and you look at his burden for these people and the way that he spent himself so that others would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The way that he labored so that others would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord let me ask a little bit about your life. Do you see being filled with the knowledge of his will as the great spiritual need as those around you in the church? Do you pray for that? Is this how you pray for your family members? Is this how you pray for the people in your small group? Is this how you pray for your church body, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Paul did. Not just prayer. Do you invest in that? Are you willing to, to let God use your words, your encouragement, your exhortation? Are you willing to go get coffee with someone and talk about what God's will for their life is according to Scripture? Our call to be disciples of Jesus means we must pursue this for ourselves. Our lives need to be shaped by God's will. But our call to make disciples will compel us to try to bring other people along with us. It'll mean that we have a burden and a desire to see other people change from the inside out as they come to know God and His will. Paul prayed this for the church at Colossae. And I'm praying this for you. I prayed this this week for all of you by name, except maybe a couple of you who are visiting whose names I don't know yet. But I've been praying this for you, 
It's my prayer. It's the goal of the ministry of this church that we all would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we would experience the ongoing work of His grace as He empowers us to do it. That's my prayer for us. It was Paul's prayer for this church. And I'm thankful that we have the clarity of Scripture. We now know what God's will is for us. To know Him. To live a life that pleases Him. And we know that we do this not so that God will accept us. We do this as Christians because God has already accepted us. Because of Christ. We're already saved. We're already loved. We're already adopted. This is now our response of gratitude to the Lord. To seek to live a life this way. And we don't have to do it by ourselves. He promises the grace and the strength for every step of the journey. May God be pleased by this church and may we experience his ongoing work in us, all for his glory. God, as we look in your word, we are sobered to see that we are called to a high calling. Those of us who know you, those of us who have trusted Christ, have been given a great privilege. We've been given the power of your spirit. We've been given access to your revealed will in the scriptures. We've been given the church, this body that we serve with, that we benefit from. I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of you. We want to be fully pleasing to you. God, we want to bear fruit and do good works. We need your power to do it. We need to understand your word more deeply. So I pray, God, that you would do this work in us, just as Paul prayed for those believers. Do this work in and among us, all for your glory. And God, for any this morning who don't know you, whose will has never been surrendered to your will, I pray that they would repent of their rebellion against you, that they would believe in the gospel, that they would trust in Christ and Christ alone to be their Savior, yielding their will to yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.